Good evening, everyone. It's good to be back on a Sunday evening. Uh, why is Christmas such a happy time? Even in a year like this, we gather together like this, and it's just a happiness to uh, this occasion, isn't there? Why is Christmas a happy time? I mean, even in, in our secular world, in, in that context, it's, it's a happier season, isn't it? Even when the name is changed from Christmas to the festive season, why is it a festive time? It seems like for a moment, uh, everybody's troubles seem to melt away. Are our troubles gone? I'm certainly not. And yet at this time, it's sort of a, a signing off. Some are maybe burying their heads in the sand when it comes to those troubles. It's a time of superficial cheer and naivety. For others, our troubles are too great to forget. And so Christmas is not a, a time of gladness, but of sadness. Maybe family is not around, or you've experienced great loss. Maybe you've messed up your life beyond your ability just to bury your head in the sand. Are those with troubles at this time doomed to either forgetful naivety or despairing contemplation? The Bible's answer is that both can and should give way to joy. A joy, however, that is founded on the truth. The Bible's answer is that the key to joy is not necessarily in completely being burdenless or not feeling our burdens. The Bible's answer is to be troubled at the right thing, rightly troubled and truly comforted. Christmas actually is meant to be a troubling season. And why, why do I say that? It's the, the very reason that Christmas exists. Why does Christmas exist? It exists because of sin, does it not? If there was no sin, there would be no Christmas. So at Christmas we celebrate the birth of the Messiah. We celebrate Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We celebrate the beginning of redemption and the restoration of what was lost. But we should not forget the Messiah came for one purpose. The Messiah was born to die. The troubling reality of Christmas is that it only exists because of the sin, our sin, that broke the world and separated us from a holy God. The troubling reality of Christmas is that our, the offense against that God was so great and our situation is so dire that nothing less than the, the very death of the Son of God could save us. Christ was born to die. But those who are rightly troubled at Christmas, ready to, to do business with the reason for Christmas, those whose heads are not buried in the sand, they are invited to come, and those who come will receive Christmas's comfort. And I hope that's why you're here tonight. We sang a, a new song earlier, and you might have been a little perturbed by the title. I don't know if you saw it and you thought, no, that can't be right. O come all ye unfaithful. Seb, why do you have to put a, a bummer on Christmas, man? 
not trying to dampen our spirits, but to infuse them with greater joy. That's the purpose of that song. Those who embrace the troubling reality of Christmas can find the comfort that Christmas provides. Let me read those words again to you. I listened to the song maybe 20 times this week, Seb. O come, all you unfaithful. Come, weak and unstable. Come, know you are not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come, see what your God has done. O come, bitter and broken, come with fears unspoken, come taste of His perfect love. O come, guilty and hiding ones, there is no need to run, see what your God has done. Christ is born, Christ is born, Christ is born for you. He's the Lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. His promise is peace for those who believe. So come, though you have nothing, come. He is the offering. Come, see what your God has done. Now I want to spend just a few minutes. Seb, I promise it will be less than an hour. (laughs) Just a few minutes expanding on this joy and the comfort that we have today by hearing from Isaiah. Why Isaiah? Well, we're going through an Advent series in the book of Isaiah in the Sunday mornings, and my my brain is fragile and unstable. My mind needs the organization or I'd fall to pieces, weary and broken. For those of us who know that we are the unfaithful, Isaiah is right up our alley. If you know You know that you don't trust Him like you should. You don't follow Him like you should. You don't obey Him like you should. You don't don't love Him like you should, like His goodness demands. You don't estimate Him as His glory compels us. This book is for you. It laments the state of God's people. It's a cry against hearts that are distant from Him. A people who are called to be holy, they are God's possession out of the nations. They are perpetually unfaithful. In Isaiah 59, Isaiah summarizes their state. And you look at 59 and he begins in the first per- second person. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that, that he does not hear. And, and he goes on and on. And, and finally, that voice turns to the, the language, turns to the first person. And Isaiah says from verse 9, Therefore justice is far from us, and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light, and behold darkness, and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight. Among those in full vigor we are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but there is none for salvation. But it is far from us, for our transgressions are multiplied before you. And our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord, and turning back from following our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart 
lying words. Their condition is our condition, their hopelessness, our own. As a race, we all are the unfaithful ones. But in Isaiah, there are strong notes of hope, are there not? Moments that look forward to a faithful one, a king who will come, who will redeem and restore. Today, we we looked at a a picture of this king, a, a king who will bring justice that we can't bring and create peace that we can't create. In verse 5 of Isaiah 11, we read this morning, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And I don't want to, <laughs> maybe I've dampened the spirit on a Christmas carols night too much. I don't want to do that. I'm trying to encourage you. We know the reality of life, the battle that Paul speaks of. When he describes even his own heart in Romans 7 verse 18 and 19, he says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. And so our, our lifelong goal, our earnest desire is to be more like Jesus, to have our, cap- our character shaped and transformed into His. Isaiah uses the, the language of a belt to describe Jesus. He says His belt shall be righteousness and faithfulness. Now we know that belts are important. Belts hold up our, our pants, but in that day the belt held everything together, tied everything together. Jesus is the faithful one when we are unfaithful. It is our goal to deny ourselves, to be true to Him. Jesus is righteous and faithful just by being true to Himself. And in Judah's trouble, when the people were unfaithful, it was promised that one would come who is faithful. He would come with complete faithfulness to God. The Spirit of the Lord would be upon Him to carry out a task. And his task was faithfulness to the will of the Lord. And what is that task? What is it that Christ has done for us? I want to read what he's done for us. And so I'm going I'm to read Isaiah 52 from verse 13 to the end of Isaiah 53. And I just want to reflect over these words. There are five stanzas in this section. Five ways that Christ was Faithful, how he expressed his faithfulness. In the first stanza in Isaiah 52, 13 to 15, we see the exalted one who humbled himself to redeem all peoples. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see and that which they have not heard they understand. In the second stanza in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 53 we see that he is the very glory of God who has robed himself in our frailty. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him 
and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. In the third stanza, verses 4 to 6, he is the Holy One who traded purity for our sin. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. In the fourth stanza, verses 7 to 9, he is the word of God who gave himself silently to judgment. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away and as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And finally, in the fifth stanza, verses 10 to 12, he is the king who needs nothing but who rejoices in making the unrighteous righteous. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall, be, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities." Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. And so we, the unfaithful, are welcome tonight. We are welcome to come. We are welcome to acknowledge the reason for Christmas our sin, our rebellion, our, our desperation, our absolute lack of hope outside of Him. <laughs> and when we come, we are comforted by the faithful one who restores our hope. He brings us back to God. Christ substituted Himself on our behalf and He revealed on the cross His great love for us, for sinners like you and me. Have you come to this King? In closing, I just want to read these words from Isaiah 42, just to whet your appetite. I, I, God willing, we'll be pre I'll be preaching this Sunday to come. Isaiah 42, verse 3 to 4. A bruised reed. Anyone here? A, a bruised reed tonight. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench, he will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice on the earth. Let's pray.
Jesus, we um, are grateful tonight. You are the faithful one. We are unfaithful and fickle, and yet you invite us to come, and that is exactly what we're doing. We're coming together. We're singing your praise. We're singing our gratitude for what you've done. Thank you that you came to the earth. And thank you that you are the Savior of the world and that you've reconciled us to the Father. Thank you that you are our faithful one. Amen.